Scripture reading for this morning is from 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 7 and 10 through 11. Please stand for the reading of God's Word. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks, as one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves, as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. This is the Word of God. You may be seated. Well, last week we uh, considered Peter's call for us to love one another. Uh, we looked at his love uh, that he calls us to as a love that is to be enduring, a love that is to be forgiving, and a love that is to be welcoming. And we looked at for a bit there at the end of that sermon last week about the need to show hospitality to one another, to welcome people in. And actually, you know, one of the ways we talked about that was the need to kind of break up our circles and maybe sit with people that uh, you don't know. And we've got an opportunity to do that after the service is over at the fellowship lunch. So sit with somebody you don't know. Wouldn't that be great? Begin to show hospitality. Uh, there's a, a passage I came across this past week from 2 Corinthians chapter 7 in which Paul says, make room in your hearts for us, to the people to whom he was writing. Make room in your hearts for us. And in so many ways, that captures what hospitality is all about. And ultimately, it's not just making room in your home. It's making room in your heart for other people. And so as we think about loving one another with a love that is enduring and a love that is forgiving and a love that is welcoming toward one another, it ultimately means that we're reaching out to one another in such a way that we're seeking to bring each other into our hearts. Well, this morning, uh, a fourth expression of what will characterize our love for one another, and that's serving one another. Serving one another using the gifts of God's grace that have been given to every Christian. If you're a follower of Christ, you have been given a gift of some kind. It's a gift of God's grace to you, but not ultimately for you. And there's, there's a number of things I hope you'll take away from this this morning, but there's one of them. You've been given a gift of God's grace. It's been given to you, not ultimately for you. You are not called to be a reservoir of God's grace. You're called to be a river. Of God's grace. God's grace poured into you is to be poured out of you into the lives of other people, into the lives of the people that are sitting around you right now, your brothers and your sisters, right here at Grace Church. If Grace Church is your church home. Now, we love the idea of that, right? We love the idea of Grace being the kind of church where people take their gifts that they've been given and, and pour out that grace into the lives of other people and that, and that it's actually a church that's made up of people that live that way and, and we love the idea of it. But the question is, how many of us actually do it? How many of us live that way? Especially over the long haul. There's a book that Brett McCracken wrote titled Uncomfortable. And in the book, he challenges what he calls our sickness of consumerism. He lays out seven different forms of this sickness of consumerism. And one of them that he talks about is our desire to be served and not to serve. 
We, we want to be comfortable. We want to be served, not have to extend ourselves and serve other people. And if I am going to serve, it better not inconvenience me. Right? It better be the kind of service that leaves me feeling better about myself at the end, and it didn't really cost me all that much in the process. I think each of us needs to search our hearts and ask how much of that sickness is there. I mean, it is kind of the air that we breathe. It's the culture in which we live. How much of that consumerism do we take into that church? How much of that expectation that I'm in a place, and so in this place, I should expect to be served and not serve. I should expect primarily to receive and not give, and all the while not be too inconvenienced in the process. We, we need to ask, how much of that's there in me? There's a quote from Dietrich Bonhoeffer in Life Together. I referenced it. I referenced Bonhoeffer's quote, uh, book, Life Together, quite a bit last week. Um, I didn't mention a quote then that I'll mention now. It's actually been a very important quote for me personally. Maybe, maybe not an overstatement to say outside of Scripture. For me, vocationally, one of the most important quotes for me to keep in mind. The quote goes like this. He who loves his idea of the Christian community more than the community itself will become a destroyer of that community, no matter how good or noble his intentions. And let me tell you, as a guy in pastoral ministry who entered into ministry with all kinds of idealistic notions of what church would be like, he who loves this idea of a Christian community and not the community itself will become a destroyer of that community. Now, that just doesn't apply to pastors. It applies to all of us. If I love my idea of church more than I love the actual people themselves, if I have some idealized picture of what church ought to be, mainly what church ought to be for me, but I'm not really loving the people that are there and seeking to be a river and not a reservoir of God's grace in my life, I will be part of that which brings destruction to the church. God promises to build his church. I will build my church, Jesus said, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. That is not a promise that every individual church will endure to the last day. And so the fact remains. Among many other things, one of the things that the church must be on guard against is consumerism. A me-first mentality when it comes to church. Or when it comes to this amazing gift of God's grace, seeking to be a reservoir and not a river. And being willing to pour it out in other people's lives. Good news, what God requires, he supplies. What God requires, he supplies. Chiefly, the blood of his son, Jesus Christ. Right? I mean, if for us to be forgiven by God, for us to be in right relationship with Him and be welcomed into His heaven, we need the blood of Christ in our place to be shed. God supplies what He requires. But God requires us, He calls us, He commands us to love one another, and He supplies what we need in order to do that when it comes to our serving one another. And in particular, Peter's going to tell us in this passage about gifts. The gifts that God supplies through his son, Jesus Christ. And so as we look at this passage this morning, we're going to see uh, three things. First, the purpose of the gifts. We're going to get at that question concerning the purpose by asking four questions about them. I'll unpack those as we go through. But So first, the purpose of the gifts. Second, 
really want us to wrestle with the personal nature of the gifts. Because when we start talking about spiritual gifts, we do tend to think, you know, kind of more global, maybe, and corporate, and less personal. But I think Peter is challenging us here to think very personally about the use of these gifts. And then third, finally, the power we need to serve one another well. So the purpose of the gifts, the personal nature of their use, and the power we need to serve one another well. That's where we're headed. Let's pray first. Heavenly Father, we do ask that you be with us now this morning. We're thankful that you, that you give your spirit. Lord, I'm so thankful that you have given me um, your spirit. <laughs> because if I were just standing up here uh, speaking words, and if your spirit weren't working through your word, and if your spirit were working through me, this would be to no avail. And I'm thankful that your spirit is at, the work, at work in the hearts of all of your people. And so, Lord, I pray that you would take your word as it's proclaimed from my mouth and that by the power of your spirit, that which is right and true and will bring you glory and will be for your people's good, which sink deep into their hearts. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So the purpose of the gifts, and uh, just take a look at verse 4, or chapter 4, verse 10 real quick. Peter writes there at the very beginning, as each has received a gift. And so the question, let's just ask real quick, first, where do the gifts come from? And, you know, the, the Sunday school answer, of course, is they come from God. But I want us to think about something that Paul said. In Ephesians chapter 4, uh, Paul, he writes this. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he led captives in his train and gave gifts to men. Now, Paul, in that passage in Ephesians 4, when he said... When he ascended on high, he led captives in his train and gave gifts to men. He's actually quoting from Psalm 68. David wrote Psalm 68. And in David's passage in that psalm, he was reflecting on something that kings did after they had achieved or won a great victory. So in David's day, whenever a king would win a great victory, he would take all the captives of the people that he had conquered... And he would go back into his realm, into his land, into his kingdom. And he would have all these captives in chains behind him, like a train of his robe. He's walking into his his court. And then he would ascend onto his throne. And then he would give gifts to all the people in his land. Gifts of the bounty from which he had just uh, secured through the victory. That's that's David saying, listen, in Psalm 68, I'm giving you this picture. I'm reminding all of you who are reading this, eventually singing it, that this is God that does this. God is the one who leads captives in his train. God is the one who gives gifts to men. Paul quotes that in Psalm 68 with reference to Jesus and spiritual gifts in order to highlight the fact that it is Jesus who has won this amazing victory. It is Jesus who first descended and is now ascended leading captives in his train, and giving gifts to men. Uh, This past week, Thursday, uh, was Ascension Day, 40th day after Easter, in which, historically, some parts of the church have uh, just commemorated or marked that day uh, when Jesus walked out to the Mount of Olives with his disciples and ascended into heaven. You see it in Acts chapter 1. Verses 1 through 12. And Paul had the ascension of Jesus Christ in mind when he wrote Ephesians. And in particular was reflecting on that in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 7 through 10. Jesus is the king. 
He ascended into heaven to his throne. He's given gifts, spiritual gifts, to his people. And so when you think about spiritual gifts and who you are and their role within the body, keep that amazing picture in mind. Christ ascending into heaven and by his spirit poured out at Pentecost, providing gifts for his people, gifts of his grace. You look through passages like Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, there in Ephesians 4 that I just referenced, and you get these different lists of the gifts, and we're not going to go through them uh, this morning. We're just dealing with what Peter says, which is about as broad spectrum as you can get, gifts of speaking and gifts of doing. Like Everything falls under that category, and that's where Peter is focusing. So we're not going to go too deep into all the gifts. So the first question, where are they from? They're from Jesus. Second question, what are they for? Well, again, when we get back into 1 Peter 4, we're going to talk about the personal nature of the gifts. But stepping back into what Paul says, Paul gives more of a global picture, more of a, a corporate vision of what it means for the church to be functioning together using these gifts. And so in Ephesians 4, Paul will go on and say, uh, that the gifts are given for the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. And then, of course, if you've read 1 Corinthians 12, you, you know that great metaphor that Paul provides there of the body. Each part of the body needs to be functioning together for the body to work well. And we all are different parts of the body whose head is Christ, and that is the church. So what are they for? They're for the, the, the functioning of this body. That is the church of Jesus Christ. Third, how do I know what my gifts are? You've got a little ministry survey here. Notice it's a ministry survey, uh, not a spiritual gifts test that you've got here. I'm not a big fan. If you've been through the membership seminar, you've heard me say every time, I'm not a big fan of spiritual gifts tests. We tend to self-select on those. We tend to you know, answer the way that we want to be, perhaps, rather than the way that we really are. And we also tend to limit what God may want to do through us if we would just be open to what he may be calling us to be doing at any given point. So I'm, this survey, now let's explain it real quick. You know, there's uh, on the two inside panels, you have a list of the kinds of ministries that are happening here at Grace Church. I encourage you to read through those and kind of just rank levels of interest. Uh, over on the other side, uh, bottom of the second panel, over into the third, you see a... Uh, uh, a talent bank or a uh, yeah, talent bank survey. We're trying to get an idea of who has uh, resources that we can match to needs within the body. So who has an ability to do carpentry? Who has a need for some carpentry done? What can we do to connect those two? So trying to build a, a database there. So a very practical tool. I encourage you to take it with you. You can fill it out and mail it. Right? It's got the address on the back. Or you can fill it out online, and there's a link down there at the bottom of the, of the page on the third panel. But, again, just coming back to kind of the spirit of where Peter is, just kind of this basic approach to gifts. If Peter's focus is on speaking or doing types of gifts, one way to get at what your gifts are is simply to ask the question, am I more a speaker of words or a doer of deeds? You know, as I reflect on the ways in which I've served in the church, in which other people have been, you know, really, really thankful, the ways in which I've blessed them. Has it been because I've been more of a speaker of words or a doer of deeds? 
Where have I served effectively in the past? What do I have a burden to do right now? What's God placing on your heart right now? Maybe as you pray and read through the ministry survey. Where can you do the most good, given your gifts? Or simply, what needs to get done? That's a good question to ask. Hey, what needs to get done around here? How can I help? And then just jump in and serve. Your gifts will begin to emerge over time. You'll get a sense of how you're gifted in certain ways and and maybe how you aren't gifted. And then as these gifts do emerge, you begin to give glory to God for this grace that's evident in your life. Recognizing that you know, no gift is too big, no gift is too small. That however you're gifted, you're gifted in just the right way to be part of this thing that God is doing to build this church on earth. Now, leads to the fourth question, why? Why use your gifts to serve the body? Because the body needs every member of the church doing its work in order for the church to function properly as a whole. The church needs every member using his or her gifts in order to function properly as the body of Christ in her specific place and time. Now, Ed Clowney, in his commentary on 1 Peter, gives this great illustration that I I want to share with you. Ed Clowney, in his commentary on 1 Peter, talks about uh, the Luray Caverns. Never been there. They're in Virginia. Apparently, in the Luray Caverns, uh, they're filled with stalactites, right? The Ray Caverns were discovered in 1878. People, you know, the, the very day began banging on the stalactites because they made this really cool sound. They all resonated in different ways. Well, in 1954, a guy by the name of Leland Sprinkle walked into the Luray Caverns, and I picture him looking up at the stalactites and maybe, you know, knocking on a few and hearing their various tones and then thinking to himself, you know what, I got an idea. I'm going to build an organ. And that's what he did. I picture him taking an organ console. There's a, you can see a picture online. There's an organ console sitting in the middle of this cavern surrounded by all these stalactites. And what he did was go through and chip away, do whatever he had to do to get just the right number of stalactites hooked up to every, you know, port, whatever they're called, and the organ, so that you could play the organ. It's called the Great Stalactite Organ. I'm not joking. And he was the organist for like 30 years. That's just awesome. All right, well, listen, that is an awesome picture of the church. God God wants to make beautiful music through you, Grace Church. And he doesn't do that by having one stalactite that only resonates at one wavelength with one sound it's this multi variegated beautiful multi-console right organ that is the church that when functioning together is beautiful if the full range of the organ console is going to be employed <clears throat> and those little rubber mallet you know those little uh, mallets needed to be attached to every selectite and if the full range of the music that God would intend to play through his church is going to be played, then we all need to be engaged in the work. So use your gifts. Find ways to use them. Just jump in and serve. Ask what needs to be done. I had that happen twice this past week. It was so awesome. 
People that wanted to meet with me and really, among other things, asked, what can I do to help around here? <laughs> Praise Jesus. All right. Uh, but Peter would say, I think, in this passage, yes, Paul, think about the big picture. But I think Peter is saying here, I want you to think about these gifts in a very personal and interpersonal way. So let's move on, secondly, to the per- personal nature of their use. So again, come back to verse 10. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Now I want to focus in on that last phrase at the end of verse 10, as good stewards of God's varied grace. Peter is saying this gift that God has given you, you are called to steward it and to steward it well. A steward in the Bible times was someone who had administrative responsibilities for a household. They were themselves a servant in the household, but they were like the top servant in the household. And they had responsibility for everything else that went, in, went on in the household. Think of Joseph in Potiphar's house. Joseph was a servant, but he had responsibility over everything in Joseph's house. What Peter is saying to us here is that each of us has administrative responsibility for the use of our gifts within God's household. I have an administrative responsibility for you. I am called to steward well these resources that I have, this gift that God has given me of his grace within this household. He's the head of the household. I'm not. But I'm called to serve well, steward well the gifts that he has given me within this household. To not use those gifts would be a poor stewardship. And so as with the parable of talents in Matthew 25, we're going to be held accountable for how we use them. So we're called to steward these gifts. And then there's this picture that Peter gives us. He says, as good stewards of God's varied grace. Another translation, God's manifold grace. Or multifaceted grace. You think about a diamond with multi, you know, the, the, the many facets on a diamond and reflecting the, the full spectrum of light off of them. Right? God has given as many gifts as are necessary to do his work on earth. It's multifaceted, varied gifts. So there's all these different gifts that are given in order to do the work that God has to do. But then there's, there's you. You with your history. You with your story. You with, with your DNA. You with who you are right now. Uniquely you. Uniquely gifted to do something that God has for you to do here among these unique people. As you reflect on that, you begin to get this, I hope, this sense of, man, God has something for me here to do here. Like it matters that I'm part of this church body. This church body needs me. There's two errors that we tend to make. We tend to think either this church body can't live without me. Or this church body would do just fine without me. Both of those are wrong. But there is a place for saying, you know what? God is so good. This is where he has me right now. My story is the story that he's written for me. By his grace, I'm here. I'm here with these experiences. I'm here with these, you know, kind of inherent strengths and weaknesses. I've been gifted in ways that I'm just beginning to discover. I've got these people who I'm going to know for eternity. And I've got an opportunity right now. 
to be a river and not a reservoir of God's grace toward them. Be excited about that. So personal stewardship, but also a personal expression. Peter writes, use this gift that I've given you to serve one another. This is the third time in just a few, just a few verses where Peter uses that phrase, one another. We're to love one another. We're to show hospitality to one another. We're to serve one another. And that serving one another can be hard. It pushes against that consumer mindset that we have of I'd rather be served and not serve. I'd rather be convenienced and not inconvenienced. I don't want to have to work too hard. It doesn't work that way. It just doesn't. Think about something that Paul says in Galatians chapter 6, verse 2. In Galatians 6, verse 2, Paul says, Bear one another's burdens. What's a burden? Just basically, simply, it's a heavy load that's hard to pick up and it's difficult to carry. What's a burden? It's something that's hard to pick up, it's difficult to carry. Two assumptions bound up there. One, we all have burdens. And two, we're not meant to carry them alone. What does it take to bear the burden of another person? It takes getting close enough for some of the weight to fall on you. It's heavy. Here's this burden that my brother or sister is carrying. It's too heavy a load for them. If I'm going to bear their burden with them, I need to get close enough for some of the weight to fall onto me. I have to be inconvenienced. How do you bear someone's burden without burdening yourself? It's like saying, boy, I would love a glass of water. Hold the water. It just doesn't work. How do you bear someone else's burden without some of the burden falling upon you? If you say, I would love to help you, but I just don't have the time, it may be, it may be, that what you're saying is, I can't help you without burdening myself. And so I won't help. But that's exactly what we're called to do. To bear one another's burdens. To be inconvenienced for the sake of the gospel. To serve. The evidence of the love that Peter's been talking about in chapter 4, verses 8, 9, and 10, and 11, is a love that is costly. Real love pays the price. Real love serves. Real love pours out for others the grace that's been poured in. We're called to be rivers, not reservoirs of God's grace. So what do you do? You actually get close enough to people first for some of the weight to fall on you. To identify what burdens they're bearing. And to ask how it is that you are uniquely suited to bear that burden with them. And then as you do so, you will discover something more that I think is beautiful. When Peter talks in this passage about God's varied grace that we're called to steward, varied, that's the same word that he uses earlier in the letter to talk about the various trials that we have. So there's these 
multifaceted gifts, and there's these multifaceted trials. And we're given opportunities to use the various gifts that we have as a body to carry the weight and the burden of those who are facing various trials in their life. Christians face manifold trials, and they are given manifold gifts to shoulder the burdens of those who face manifold trials. It's part of the beauty of functioning as the body of Christ here in this place. So, again, hard work, but good news. God supplies what he requires. And so third, the power we need in order to serve well. Take a look at verse 11 now with me. Peter continues, Whoever speaks is one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves is one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything may God, God be glorified through Jesus Christ. Verse 11, Peter says, oracles, the oracles of God are simply the words, the saying, or the messages that God has spoken to his people. Part of what's implicit there is that our words aren't enough. Your wisdom is not enough at the end of the day when it comes to what people need to hear out of your mouth. Your wisdom matters. Your experience matters. But ultimately, what will bring true and lasting comfort and change in a person's life it's God's word. It's God's word. When it comes to speaking, our wisdom is not enough. And when it comes to serving, our strength isn't enough. That's why he says in verse 11, whoever serves is one who serves by the strength that God supplies. And we, we got that and we considered Galatians chapter 6, verse 2. So if our love is going to endure, this enduring love that Peter calls us to back in verse 8, that leads to this kind of serving over the long haul, if our love is going to endure, then it's going to require strength that we don't have. And that's exactly the strength that God supplies. In Ephesians 4, where Paul talks about the gifts, he says this, it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. And Peter, I'm sorry, Paul spoke from experience. Because Paul in 2 Corinthians Chapter 12 would talk about the fact that God strengthens him in his weakness. So here's Paul needing to serve in all kinds of ways, being, being pushed to the limit of what he could do, saying things like, we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the all-surpassing greatness is from God and not from us. At that point, God's power in Paul's life is most evident. And at the very point in which you see a need and you know that you have some gift of grace that God's been given to you and you question whether you have the strength to actually engage in that work, to carry that load, to bear that, that burden, God by His Spirit says, let me step in and supply what I require of you by enabling you to know that grace that is strong in the midst of your weakness. Think back to the great stalactite organ. Every one of those stalactites had to be chipped. Everyone had to be broken off in some way in order for the organ to play right, in order for the notes to match. Together, beautiful harmony, individually, had to be chipped away. It is so true for us as well. 
Every one of us functions best within the body of Jesus Christ when we minister in God's strength out of our brokenness. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul writes, We comfort those with the comfort that we ourselves have received from God. You've heard me say before, God doesn't comfort us to make us comfortable. He comforts us to make us comforters. It's the same way as saying we're not meant to be reservoirs of God's grace, but rivers of God's grace in the lives of other people. So the motive for using these spiritual gifts is love. That's what Peter's been driving home from the very beginning of, of this passage we've been meditating on the last couple of weeks. Love. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 13 that without love, even the fullest expression of spiritual gifts is meaningless. It's as a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. So we know where we get the gifts, but where do we get the love that animates the gifts? And the answer, of course, is by looking to Jesus Christ. Jesus, who came into the world saying, I came not to be served. I came to serve. And I came to give my life as a ransom for many. The same Jesus who stood up at the Last Supper, wrapped a towel around his waist, took a basin and a towel, filled the basin with water, and knelt down at the feet of these men who were so hard for him to love. And who would, very soon, turn away from him. And yet he washed their feet. And as we remember that it wasn't just the disciples that were hard to love. And metaphorically speaking, it wasn't just their feet that he washed. In fact, it was his blood that was shed that we might be made clean. As we take that truth, the reality of God's grace poured into you that we are enabled to turn around and in the grace and the strength that God supplies, serve other people. Christ has ascended. He's given gifts to every Christian. Know your gifts. Just plug in and begin to serve. You will begin to identify how it is that God has uniquely gifted you, given the, ex the experiences that you have had in your life, given your, your physical health or lack thereof, given the body that we are and the needs of this moment, to be able to see how God has uniquely gifted and is uniquely calling you to serve. Christ has ascended. He's given gifts for you in order to realize that now. He's called us to use them to serve one another. Get close enough to people to serve. Get close enough to people in this body to know what kind of burden they're bearing and shoulder some of it. Join a growth group. Begin to show hospitality or invite people into your home. Just invest in other people. Spend time with them with a mind toward where's their burden here that I can help shoulder and then third, look to Jesus, who supplies not just the gift, but the power for enduring, serving love. Let's pray. Oh, Father, as we come to the end of this uh, discussion on what love looks like in action amongst your people, and as we think about this part of it, where we talk about serving one another, Lord, I pray that you would really drive 
home to us both the opportunity and the great privilege, but also the, the responsibility that we ought to feel to shoulder one another's burdens, to get close, to see where there's a load that we can help lift, a burden that we can help carry by providing a word of encouragement or a word of comfort or a word of exhortation or even a word of rebuke. By investing time to watch the child of a single parent or investing time to help someone move or investing time in in some other very practical way. All of which, Lord, are examples of what it means to come alongside and out of love for you and love for other people, help carry the load. Lord, make us people who are eager to help shoulder one another's burdens that your name might be glorified. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.